Welcome to HSBC Talks Business, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Hello, listeners. My name is Fatma Galadari, a Vice President in HSBC Global Banking, responsible for covering GREs, conglomerates, and some financial sponsors as part of Ahmed Hashem's team. Today, we will be zooming into the energy transition journey in the UAE. To do so, we welcome Abu Dhabi National Energy Company, Baqa, the UAE's biggest utility company, which has ambitions to reduce energy emissions whilst also increasing the share of renewable energy they deploy globally through their new arm, Musla, alongside Adnoc and Mubadala. Baqa issued its first green bond earlier this year to help fund its various green projects with the help of HSBC as joint lead manager and book runner. HSBC also acted as joint green structure on Thaqa's newly established green finance framework. So how do Thaqa's transition goals align with those of the UAE? And what kind of financing and technology is it using to help achieve them? Who better to answer these and other key questions than Stephen Ridlington, the Chief Financial Officer of Thaqa, and Ahmed Hashim, HSBC's Head of Coverage Abu Dhabi? Welcome to you both. Stephen? Could you kick us off with an overview of Thaqa's energy transition strategy and net zero goals and how they align with the UAE's wider ambitions on cutting emissions and securing a cleaner energy supply? Sure, Fatima, and thank you very much for having me on this podcast. I'm really looking forward to it and uh, looking forward to talking about Thaqa's transition journey. So look, I I think the place to start is the announcement we first made when we we set our strategy out to be a low-carbon power and water champion. And that is something that you can see in bold visibility whenever you look at our website or any of our our materials. That really set the tone for what we wanted to become. And given what we were at the time, and to an extent still are, associated very heavily with oil and gas and thermal generation, that was a pretty bold statement to make. Uh, We followed that up, having announced our strategy in 2022, when we announced our ESG strategy. So our our corporate strategy came in 21. We started working on that, and then we followed that up with more details on ESG. And our strategy has really six components. I won't go through all of these, but I'll, I'll just talk briefly about what they are. Climate change, water and effluence, occupational health and safety, diversity and equal opportunity, local community engagement and corporate governance. Those are the areas that we are seeking to address in our strategy. Let me just talk briefly about one or two of these. Um, So in emissions, which is obviously a key part of this, our GHG emissions, we announced that we wanted to be net zero for scope one and scope two emissions by 2050. And that was done in line with and at the same time as the UAE's own ambitions. And I'll talk a little bit more about how we fit with the UAE in just a couple of minutes. And we also set some interim targets for emissions uh, when we announced the strategy. So a 25% reduction in scope one and scope two GHG emissions by 2030. That was the global target, which translated on a UAE basis to a 33% reduction. And that's compared to our 2019 baseline. 
On clean energy supply, and this was really envisaged in the initial strategy document, but cemented in our ESG strategy, um, as you mentioned, Fatima, we announced that Mazda will become the single Abu Dhabi champion for renewable growth, where we are working with Adnoc and Mubadla as the partners in, in, in Mazda. And we set very ambitious targets, or very ambitious targets have been set to achieve 100 gigawatts of renewable energy by 2030. And for renewable energy to be at least 30% of our total portfolio. So a very clear drive to move the portfolio towards renewable energy. And then we're also supporting others in their efforts to decarbonize. And I'll just mention three examples. So ADNOC, um, we're partnering with ADNOC in building a subsea cable, uh, which will enable the powering of ADNOC's offshore oil and gas operations to be supplied from the grid. And that is not a first in the world, but it's a first in the region. It will result in a significant reduction in, in carbon production from their offshore power facilities by about 30%, they estimate. And we're doing a similar thing with EGA, the UAE's aluminium uh, smelting plant business. It's one of the largest in the world. Um, and we're also working with them to um, to connect them to the grid and allow them to produce green aluminium in the future. And then we have a very exciting project that we're working with a company called Xlinksop, which is taking renewable energy to the UK from Morocco. So uh, it's a project to build a significant amount of renewable energy in in Morocco, and then transmit that that power through a subsea cable to the UK. Uh, to provide uh, stable, constant, renewable energy power into the UK national grid. Uh, it's an early stage development. It's got a long way to go, but we're very excited to be involved in, in that as well. So there's there's a there's a number of areas that we're that we we see our ESG strategy in action. Let me finish this question by talking a little bit about how this fits with the UAE, and it's very simple. We are absolutely joined at the hip with the UAE in our in our decarbonization and energy transition strategy as you would expect us to be given that TAC is the provider of most of the power and water generation transmission and distribution services here in Abu Dhabi and beyond um, it is absolutely crucial that our targets and our ambitions fit with the governments and we are very much the the party that is that the government has asked to to implement the energy transition in Abu Dhabi. So all our targets, we align with the government before we announce them so that we make sure we're consistent across the board with the, with the government. So let me leave it there. That's a little bit of our uh, transition journey and it's been an exciting one. But as I say, let me leave it there and hand back to you, Fatima. Many thanks for your valuable insights, Stephen, and especially in showcasing Aqa's role in acting as the national champion and its ambitious projects. So Hashim, moving over to you, perhaps you could offer some thoughts around how Qaqa's approach reflects that being taken by the energy sector and the UAE generally. Well, let me start by thanking you for having me here. And I'm very glad to be here with Steve, of course. So Steve put it very well, like Qaqa's approach is representative of the energy sector transition strategy in the UAE when we see the UAE progressing and targeting to diversify its energy supply 
with the announced strategies and targets. DACA is heavily involved in the space through its own operations, including DACA's own target to reduce two-thirds of water production from reverse osmosis by 2030. As Steve highlighted, this should be achieved through its investment in Mazdar alongside the other shareholders, which is, again, to repeat what Stephen said, is naturally aligned with the UAE's renewable energy, green hydrogen, and blue hydrogen ambitions. These are all reflections of the wider push for clean electrification in the UAE between these entities and the Ministry of Energy and Infrastructure to create sustainable synergies across BNU, transport, and logistics sectors. There's no better example than what Stephen mentioned about the Emirates Global Alum where the plan is to connect it to the PNU grid, allowing, allowing it for access to access like cleaner energy sources. The general direction towards cleaner energy is also adapted elsewhere, for example, by IDWA through its project of Mohammed bin Rashid and Maktoum Solar Park and other players in the solar space with Yellow Energy continuing to grow its capacity. On the other hand, there is ENEC as another example of the UAE moving towards um, clean energy with its Baraka nuclear energy plant and efforts by EWIC to meet 90% of total water demand from low carbon intensive reverse osmosis desalination by 2030. The UAE has also its own very ambitious national hydrogen strategy, which Milestones for 2031 being set at 1.4 million tons per annum and the target to reach 15 million tons by 2050, where a large portion of this will be the green hydrogen with the rest being blue hydrogen. I'll just stop here and I hope like, I covered your question and we'll cover more in, uh, through the following questions. Thank you, Hashim. You certainly did. Stephen. Can you give us some insight into the progress BACA is making on its own emission targets? How is it doing so? And what are BACA's next steps in that regard? Yeah, sure, Fatima. Well, first of all, let me start with some, some data. So I, I mentioned at the beginning that the strategy uh, requires us to reduce GHG emissions by 25% uh, uh, by 2030. And progress to date, if we look at the end of 22, we reduced by 11% compared to that 2019 baseline. So you can see that we're already making significant progress on that front. And in terms of GHG intensity, so emissions as a percentage of revenue, uh, we reduced by 16% in 2022. Um, and, and, and these are really very good indicators of the progress that we're making. And let me just divert for a couple of seconds to explain how are we managing to achieve those targets, those significant reductions in emissions. And it's really very simple, and it's a demonstration of, of TACA's ability to progress the energy transition. So we've got the nuclear plant, ENIC, which Ahmed just mentioned, has come on stream. That has reduced the requirement to provide power and water from thermal sources. And we've also got solar PV coming online. So we don't own the nuclear production, but we do transmit it through the network. Uh, we do own the solar PV uh, plants, of which we have now uh, just over three gigawatts in operational under construction. So those two new sources of clean energy are coming into the system 
allowing us to run down the production from uh, thermal gas fire generation. So that is the one factor, the biggest single factor that is allowing that reduction in emissions. And it's a very good example, I think, of the energy transition in action here at TACA. So in terms of what the next steps are, given that background, well, I think there is a very important piece of what we are doing that we really want to make the most of, which is an improvement of our ESG rating. So I think it's fair to say that if we if we look back three or four years, TACA's ESG rating was was poor. We were a laggard in in the sector and, and, and more broadly. We've really put effort into explaining to the world what we're trying to do in the energy transition and ESG generally. Uh, we've seen great results of emissions reductions, as I've just outlined, and that has resulted in multiple ESG rating upgrades from all of the major uh, rating agencies. And it's moved us from a position where uh, we were a laggard, as I said, to a position today where we're, we're certainly a regional leader and we're, and we're beginning to push towards being a leader more broadly in international companies. And so that, I think, is one of the next steps that I think we see as being very important to make sure that we continue to deliver on, on, on our ESG strategy to enable the world to see us in the way that I think we deserve to be seen uh, as a major player in the energy transition. And, you know, so it's going to be more of the same. It's more of what we've been doing. It's more in, in alignment with the UAE government and, and Abu Dhabi to deliver on our targets, improve ratings and improve people's perception of TACA going forward. Thanks, Stephen, for uh, for that. Definitely, I mean, it's something that TACA is working very hard towards their ambition and towards achieving their quite ambitious targets. So TACA achieved a major landmark earlier this year by issuing its first green bond. What was the rationale behind issuing it at that point in time? And could you give a few details of the key projects it is funding? Sure. Well, if you don't mind, Fatima, I'm going to start by um, um, blowing our trumpets a little bit, if I may, because I'll talk about why we did it when we did it and what it funded in a minute. But let's just talk about the transaction itself, which was it was our first green bond. And, and that was really important to us. It's a very important milestone. We issued at a time, if, if people can remember back to March, April earlier this year, we were coming out of a very difficult market environment. TACA was the first mover to go into an issue after those very difficult market conditions. And there was some uncertainty in our minds about whether we would be successful or not, but we were courageous. We put our best foot forward and it was a, a resounding success. It was uh, very, I, I was amazed at how well this bond was received. It was a billion dollars green bond, 10 years. It was 10 times oversubscribed, which is pretty well unheard of in, in, in TACA's terms anyway. It was priced very tightly in line with conventional, reflecting the, the strong appetite from investors. It was done under a green financing framework, which uh, the team here put together in, in combination with the banks. And it was that green financial framework was rated by Moody's as SQS2, so a very good green rating. So overall, it was just a resounding success. In terms of what it what it financed, it financed essentially our investment in, in Mazdar, which was uh, around a billion dollars. So we that was what those proceeds were used for. So a very clear 
investment in a, in a green vehicle for the future. And when we look at what we're going to, we will do more green bonds, I'm sure of that. And they will be to cover a range of different projects that, that qualify under the green financial framework. So our reverse osmosis projects, which Ahmed has talked about, and I'll come back to again in, in, in the later part of our discussion, energy efficiency projects, further investments in Mazda potentially. So there'll be a range of projects which qualify. We will use green financing to uh, finance going forward. Thanks, Stephen, for that. Now, moving it a little closer to home and perhaps also tooting our own horns here, but how did you find it working with HSBC as joint green structure, joint lead manager and book runner on this bond issuance in April 2023? Why did Laka choose HSBC and are they a frequent partner for you? Sure. Well, well, first of all, let me start by saying it worked very well. And then let me step back from that to talk a little bit more bro broadly about how we choose. So we have a group of relationship banks, what we call core banks for TACA. And HSBC is clearly one of those. There is no, no question about that. HSBC played a, a very significant role in assisting us with developing the green financial framework and getting the ratings for that played a major role as a book runner and a joint lead manager uh, in shaping the transaction, helping us with investor presentations and so on. So HSBC sat alongside a number of other of those core banks to assist us in this. And what I would say more generally is that in relation to HSBC and the other banks that played a role is that um, we can't do this on our own. This has to be a team effort. It has to be a partnership. And, and the partnership with HSBC for TACA is very strong. And long may that continue, let me say, Fatima. And long may it be the, the case that uh, HSBC will be supporting us in these kind of transactions going forward. Definitely a long-standing relationship that we have with, with PLACA and its group of project companies, Stephen, and something we're certainly committed as your part in-house partner to continue doing so for your future opportunities and solutions. So moving this conversation a little more of a wider Abu Dhabi perspective, Ahmed, from your experience managing as head of coverage Abu Dhabi, other Abu Dhabi entities, are you seeing much use of green or other types of sustainable financing solutions in the energy sector in the UAE? And do you expect to see more of those? For the energy sector, first, we witnessed an issue with sustainable performance recently. DACA, through its project company, also issued the Suahan $1.5 billion green bond for the 1.2 gigawatt solar facility in 2022, which is the one I believe Stephen was referring to. And there is Mazda's issuance dedicated to renewable energy and its distribution and storage, both of which agency was involved in as well. If we look at the recent past, we can see a clear rise in sustainable financing in the UAE across GREs, including Taqa, as I said, Masdar, Mubadala, DP World, Antar, corporates such as Najdal Fotein, and there are also financial institutions such as EDCB, FAB, Emirates MBD, EID, and CBD, which all issued in sustainable format in 2023. In general, we expect to see the volume of sustainable finance issuances to increase, with many of these to be sustainable transactions with the use of proceeds being directed towards sustainable categories like renewable energy, energy efficiency, green buildings, clean transportations, as well as many others. 
Thanks for your feedback, gentlemen. So HSBC's Transition Pathways Survey, released at the start of this year, showed that energy companies in the Middle East were confident about the potential of key net zero technologies. Stephen, could you tell us more about how FACA is implementing new technologies to support the transition journey? Sure, Fatima. And I'd like to focus here, if I may, mainly on one particular area, which is water. Not always the first thing people think about, but it's obviously very important in this part of the world, and it's a very important uh, business for TACA. And the aspect I want to talk about is water desalination. As, as you may know, most of the, um, the drinking and other water in this part of the world comes from seawater desalination. And most of it has been done historically through gas-fired water desalination techniques associated with uh, the gas-fired uh, electricity generation facilities. So you'll see around, around this part of the world many facilities which are water generation and power generation together. And what we're doing is splitting that and doing more PV solar for um, uh, for power generation, which I've already talked about, that's not new. Um, but we're also doing reverse osmosis, which is a standalone technique for desalinating water. And the thing about reverse osmosis, which I had mentioned earlier, is that it is it consumes far less power in um, um, in generating clean drinking water. So it's a very low carbon source of um, of desalination. Um, and it's very easy to deploy. It's been around for some time, but it's a very important part of our business. And uh, we aim to get to a point that by um, by 2030, two thirds of our, our water desalination is coming from reverse osmosis, which will have a very significant impact on reducing emissions. A couple of examples of, 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 of that technology in, in action for TACA. Tawila, which is our newest reverse osmosis plant, uh, it's 200 MIGD or million imperial gallons per day, uh, which is the, the measure of the size of these. It also has 70 megawatts of, of solar on site providing the power for it. So it's, it's a very, very clean source of desalination. And we've just signed um, with Engie, one of our partners, a new reverse osmosis plants of 120 MIGD, uh, which reached financial close in May this year. And so that's already on the way. And I'll mention X-Links once again. This is the, um, the venture I described, the early stage investment in the project to send renewable power to the UK. And that, again, it's not new technology, but the scale of it, it's 10 gigawatts of renewable energy production, and then a very, very long subsea cable from Morocco to the UK. And if that project reaches, reaches financial close, as we hope it will, that will be a very major contributor to the energy transition. And it is will be, I think, one of the forerunners for other similar projects. So there's just a couple of examples of, of how we're bringing other technology to bear in our ESG strategy and uh, energy transition. Thanks for sharing those, Stephen. I mean, we live in a world where uh, digitalization and technology is embedded in every sector and, and activity that we do. So um, it's great to hear that Baca is actually well ahead of that in terms of its activity and its embedment of uh, technology into its transition journey. Ahmed, moving over to you, what similar themes are you seeing across the UAE in this space? Look, Fatima, generally Baca is, of course, spearheading the transition 
in its sector cluster, giving its standing as a market leader, as you rightly called it, a regional champion in the space. In the UAE, we are also witnessing key themes across, I'll go back again to nuclear energy, with the completion of the three phases of Enix, 5.3 gigawatt nuclear energy grid, with the last phase being operational in 2024, which will then supply around 25% of the UAE's electricity needs. Then you have the renewables, where you have, for example, the US focus on renewable energy source projects to achieve Dubai Clean Energy Strategy 2050 and Dubai Net Zero Carbon Emissions Strategy 2050. In the space of the energy storage projects, there is ALEC Energy through the implementation of the Azilio Thermal Energy Storage Systems in Dubai with the plan of around 49,000 kilowatt capacity. And there's also Imar al Emirat, a microgrid energy storage project in Sharjah. Then also you have the district cooling technology where with both Empower and Tabrit to help increase energy efficiency and reduce emissions as an alternative to the traditional air conditioning. So as you said, like there are multiple themes and we expect to see more themes in the future with the growing focus on that space. Definitely Hashem and if there's one place that you can see all that happen and take place is certainly the UAE who's well ahead of its game in terms of bringing knowledge expertise and talent on the ground here. With that I believe we're about out of time. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you uh, Stephen and Hashem for your valuable insights. Stephen, it has been great to hear about all the initiatives Taqa is implementing to help reach its net zero goals of the UAE and globally, and to the audience for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more insights on today's conversation, do feel free to visit our Transition Pathways website or get in touch with your HSBC representative to learn more. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.